Hey, what's up, everybody? Let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helly is super excited to welcome Domino's Hawaii aboard as the title sponsor of the podcast. Speaking on behalf of Domino's Hawaii, we want to thank our entire team for their efforts in staying safe, keeping sanitized, and working hard to serve you, our neighbors, during these trying times. As a locally owned company, we know there are people looking for work, and Domino's Hawaii is hiring as many in our community as we can right now. We want to thank you, the customers, for your continued trust. And until this quarantine ends, Domino's Hawaii is offering free delivery to help keep everyone safe and at home. We're all in this together, so take care out there, and we look forward to the next big sporting event where we can all gather and celebrate as one. All right, let's talk sports. Hey, what's up, Jordan? How's it going, man? We are uh, pretty stoked. We have a very cool show lined up. Tyler Saladino, who is a member of my Samsung Lions, that's right, of the KBO, Korea Baseball Organization. He joins us from South Korea. He is at the moment perhaps the most popular active baseball player on the planet. He really is. You know, he's a guy who (laughs) I think a lot of people will recognize from his major league days which you know he was he was a journeyman he was a a utility player but he is a guy who has found a bit of fame because he is one of the more recognizable American figures now playing in the KBO which is the most popular league of any sport in the world because it's one of the only leagues anywhere in the world playing anything and uh, you know he's got some connections to Hawaii really cool dude and I think it comes across in our conversation so that, that that I'm excited for for the listeners to check out. From San Diego, he's sort of a, a typical Southern California dude. Uh, you can understand why he is reputed to be one of just the most likable uh, guys in the clubhouse, one of the easiest guys to get along with. Uh, that really does come across in that interview. But before we get to that, how about we warm things up a little bit? Uh, it looks like Tua Tonga Bailoa is number one, not necessarily in the draft order. He was number five going to the Miami Dolphins. But, of course, he can't wear his college number, 13, uh, because there was a certain guy named Dan Marino who wore it in Miami, and it's retired. And so he had to look for a new number. He goes with number one. He becomes the first Miami quarterback ever in the history of the franchise to wear that number. So quick question. What do you think about number one? Second quick question, who are the greatest number ones that come to mind immediately? Ooh, good one. Okay, yeah, spring this on me. Um, number one, got to admit, don't love it. Don't love I feel like it's a little added pressure, right? It, there's something about, like, everything about the number one is a bit solitary, right? The, the unit of measure. The way the numeral looks is long and slender. Like, it's as skinny and, and streamlined as any numeral you could look at. And and I, I think people make too much of it, myself included. Like, I'll, I'll put myself in that group where it's like, hey, you know, you don't want to be number one, right? You're drawing attention to yourself. Like, that's a very old school way of thinking, right? There are a ton of teams out there. I'll never have a number one on my roster, right? Nobody needs that kind of, you know, attention. Like, I'm not saying it in that sense where it's like he's drawing attention to himself. I feel like it's a little added pressure almost. Am I making too much of it? Probably. Probably. It, We've seen guys in recent years have a lot of success wearing the number one at quarterback in particular, as you mentioned, guys who I immediately think of, right? Kyler Murray, just last year as a rookie, he's turning out to be pretty good. Um, And if Tua can have a rookie year like him, I think he's in pretty good shape. 
Cam Newton, who currently is still looking for a team, but the guy won an MVP and took the Panthers to a Super Bowl not that long ago, wearing number one. My guy, of course, a totally different sport, but if you're asking for number ones that come to mind, Derrick Rose, of course, one of my all-time favorite basketball players for the Chicago Bulls, won an MVP in Chicago. And then um, the last one that comes to mind, of course, speaking of quarterbacks, Warren Moon, the dude's a Hall of Famer, as good as it got when it came to just thrower of the football, uh, which I think a lot of people will tell you, right, to was as naturally passer as they come. So, yeah, you know, maybe I make too much. I just feel like there's a little added pressure but maybe that's just me projecting uh, a little bit there. I, I hope he tears it up wearing solitary numero uno. I think it's a bit of a projection because uh, the greatest quarterback in that franchise history wore number 13, considered the unluckiest number out there. And so uh, number one has to be in a more favorable position in terms of the perception. Uh, and you're right, there have been other number ones, the first that come to my mind. And because I'm a little older, I have the right to go this far back. The big O, Oscar Robertson wore number one. Mm -hmm. Another big O, I guess he was a littler O, Ozzie Smith, the wizard, he wore number one. How about another left-handed quarterback of note in the NFL? One Michael Vick wore number one. And so I think there is a track record. There have been some legends that have worn that jersey number. Uh, and I actually kind of like it. I, I think it's, it's clean. You know, you talk about the, the visual look of the number. Uh, I like it. it. It sort of splits the jersey in half. Symmetrical. Creates nice lines, I think, when you wear number one. So uh, I'm all for it, man. And you know what's great, too, is everyone that has one of those index finger, like foam finger deals, immediately directly rooting for Tua Tonga-Vailoa when they take those to the games. It is game time. Speaking of live sports, the UFC. This time, I think it's going to happen. Dana White has been pushing the envelope for sure, trying to get an event together. This weekend, UFC 249 scheduled to take place in Jacksonville, Florida. The feature fight, Tony Ferguson and Justin Gagey. Uh, fighters will be subjected to extensive screening and testing. Uh, I guess the question is, how much are you looking forward to this? And does the fact that this comes amid the pandemic, add to your interest with what is, let's face it, a pretty monster card either way you slice it. Yeah, they've put together a pretty big week coming up, right, with basically th trying to jam-pack three events in the next, what, 10 days or so, uh, obviously trying to kick it off with a bang in 249 on Saturday. I think it's hard not to get excited, right? It's live sports. It's here in the States. They, they said they were going to be first here, and, and they are. They tried to make it work in California. That got nixed. They seem to have gone about it in a smarter fashion, in a safer way, hopefully, and we shall see. And obviously, you get Ferguson out there. He's a guy who some would argue, right, is the best guy at 155. Um, he's taking on Gagey. It should be a fun matchup in that sense. Two guys that haven't fought in a while. I know nobody's fought in a while, but, but especially Tony Ferguson, right? I mean, he's, he's been trying to fight. Khabib fight didn't work out, but, I, but it's almost like a year since he's stepped in the octagon in the UFC. So it, the jam-packed card, I'm looking, for, I'm looking forward to the Nagano fight anytime that guy gets in there. I'm in. I'm also an ESPN Plus subscriber, so you know I can get the prelims. My question to you, I don't love that it's pay-per-view in this time where like so many people are out of work, and I get it. It's part of the contract. ESPN played the UFC a boatload of money, and they're looking to follow that business model, and, and the pay-per-view is a huge part of that. Uh, but I don't love that we're charging pay-per-view on events when – there are a lot of people out of work. There are a lot of people struggling, and, and maybe I'm making too much of it, but uh, that would be my question to you. What do you think about the 
the pay-per-view aspect of the main card here. I'm in full agreement. I think it would have been one heck of a gesture on the part of Dana White and the UFC and ESPN and all of the powers that be that are assisting in putting this event on to give it away. Uh, I, I agree with you. I understand the financial ramifications especially when you're holding an event that does not have any kind of gate revenue because there's going to be nobody in the seats. And so you're trying to compensate for that. And that is completely understandable. But I do think that the pay-per-view at a time like this is in questionable taste. And the optics could have been so much better on the part of the UFC if they did the public and if they did America and beyond that solid I think it would have come off great. But again, at the end of the day, hey, look, I understand you got to make a buck, man. And uh, there will be a whole lot of people that will be uh, willing, ready, willing, and able uh, to post the dollars necessary to watch this thing because there literally is nothing else to watch. The thing is, to be fair, this is their normal structure, right? I mean, it's not like they haven't done pay-per-view for the vast majority of their big events as as a business model. So it's, it's nothing new. So I, I will give them that. All right, other news here as we continue on. Uh, The University of Hawaii announced today, the athletic department announcing in a message from athletic director David Matlin, and it is now official, the University of Hawaii is granting its spring sports teams the opportunity to welcome back their seniors for another year. And almost immediately, the University of Hawaii men's volleyball program and head coach Charlie Wade saying, uh, they're all coming back. Pat Gassman, James Anastasiadis, Colton Cowell, and Rado Potapunov are all coming back. You on board with this decision ultimately by the University of Hawaii? Yeah, I mean, as a, as a fan, as somebody who covers these teams, absolutely, especially for that men's volleyball team, right? I mean, you, you mentioned those four, but three of them are basically all Americans that you bring back for another year for a team that should be pretty loaded, a team that's going to have another year of maturity at the very least for some of the young guys with the Chaz Galloways of the world. We'll see what the recruiting class looks like as well. That team should be loaded next year to make a run like they thought they were going to do this year at the national championship after finishing as national runners-up in 2019. Uh, that anniversary just passing. It's crazy that it's already been a year. I think it makes sense. I think they'll make the, the dollars and cents work out in a lot of ways because you're talking about additional money and resources being spent to bring these players back. Um, and maybe those details will come in, in the coming days, but I'm all on board. I, I, I'm really excited for the men's volleyball team, uh, and especially for, uh, for Maui guy, Colton Cowell, gets a, a little second chance here. Yeah, and I get it. There has to be a compliance with Title IX, and there has to be a balance there. Uh, and I think if the University of Hawaii is basically what it sounds like, saying, hey, look, there's a path here for our seniors in spring sports uh, to get another crack at it. Uh, And then that sort of opens the door for each sports program to kind of figure out how to do it on their own and whether or not they individually want to take advantage of it. In the case of men's volleyball, this is now officially a legit money-making program. Charlie Wade has built this thing up to where they're getting multiple sellouts each and every season. And so it isn't a question necessarily of can UH afford that? I think that program has become so successful, the question becomes can you afford not to bring that group back to give the fans an opportunity to see if you could hoist another banner to see them finish out the business that they started i just think there's so much riding on this and it is such a rarity for a court sport for the university of hawaii to be able to compete legitimately for a national title that it was imperative on the part of dave matlin and the powers that be at the university of hawaii to grant them that opportunity you of course have to do it 
by way of fairness and you have to then open the door for other programs, male or female, to be able to follow suit. But I do think that it was imperative for UH to ultimately make that decision, particularly as it pertained to UH men's volleyball. All right, one more uh, topic here before we get into the main topping of our show. The NFL announced its schedule for the upcoming season in what was a three-hour ESPN special presentation. I don't know if there's any matchups from the schedule reveal that you're particularly excited about, Jordan, but is it even possible to get excited about this? A three-hour reveal special on the upcoming schedule? Three hours. I was shocked that it was going to go that long, but they're going to milk it, right? They're going to explore a whole bunch of different storylines and talk about primetime matchups and and where the Bucks are going to be playing. Like, that was the first team that they broke down because, of course, why not? It's Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski getting the band back together there in Florida. It's hard, right, because so much is still up in the air. And, and I thought they did a good job, and I watched, you know, the first hour or so and then kind of tuned out uh, today's schedule reveal special for ESPN uh, really kind of explaining what the contingency plans are in terms of, hey, you know, is everything just going to get pushed back and pushed back and pushed back if necessary? Or are they going to just take week one and tack it onto the end and become a week 18 and so on and so forth as they go through? It sounds like that's going to be the plan. So there's just so much up in the air, right? Because you look at it, it's like I look at those schedules every year and, and you know, you and I we are on the mainland every so often for a bunch of different reasons. And so you look at games, right? Hey, what can you see your team on the West coast? Is there a good game to go to in San Francisco or something like that? And my bears are in LA on a Monday night, October 26th. And normally I'd be like, Oh man, I think I can get there. Right. It's a short flight away. It's a Monday night. That might be a good time in the schedule, even during busy football season. But it's like, what are the odds they actually play that game? What are the odds they play that game in front of people? They let fans into the stands at brand new SoFi stadium. What are the odds there are going to be flights there at that time? I mean, it's just, there's so much up in the air. It's a tepid excitement for sure. When you look at the schedule, because it, those dates are about as fluid as can be at this point. It's kind of like getting a save the date announcement in the mail, right? Of like friends of yours that are going to get married. It's like, it's not the actual wedding invitation. It's like a save the date. And it's like, okay, I kind of appreciate the heads up on this, uh, but we got a long ways to go. Like it hit me up when the uh, invitation is official. And that's when I'll really start getting excited about this thing. That's sort of how I felt about this three-hour reveal. And my opinion is, if ESPN really wanted to milk this and they wanted to turn this into something that could give them content here going forward, you reveal one week at a time. And you just reveal one week every single day. And you just break it down and you get all the experts to give their opinion on it. And then at the end of what would be two and a half weeks of programming, then you have the ultimate overall season conversation. That's what ESPN should have done. This three-hour stuff was child's play. All right, it's time now for our Domino's Hawaii main topping. And the main topping, the gist of this podcast episode, is our interview with Tyler Saladino from South Korea. Like, how great is technology now? We can connect. Uh, Tyler Saladino, who is a member of the Samsung Lions, an infielder playing in Korea baseball organization. Obviously, the KBO getting a lot of exposure because it's the only show in town. And by town, I mean on earth right now. Uh, let's go ahead and play that. All right, we're here with Tyler Saladino. And uh, Tyler, first off, thanks for making some time. Uh, I think one of the first questions has to be, how's life in South Korea treating you? I mean, it's, it's good. There's like really not that much different out here uh, from like regular life, aside from being, being in Korea and, and everything that's different about um, that compared to back home. 
as far as life goes, everything's pretty normal. I mean, the streets are full just about every, I haven't come across any, any stores or businesses that are closed. It's been that way since I got here. Um, when we came back after going back to the States because it was bad here and we went back home, came back on uh, 23rd of March, I believe. And ever since then, it's been pretty much full go. So it's pretty normal around here. And to, in just a few days, have become one of the most watched baseball players on the planet right now. I mean, you guys have uh, full billing to yourself here across uh, not only uh, Korea, but also in the United States. Uh, have you gotten feedback? Have you gotten like a lot of people like us reaching out just to kind of uh, talk story with you because of that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see it coming. I knew there was going to be some attention put our way, but uh, not to this kind of scale. Been pretty busy trying to do my best to fulfill everybody's needs. I know it's a big deal. Um, everybody's curious about what's going on and when I, they got tons of questions and yeah, that's why that's why I'm on here with you guys. Just trying to trying to do do what I can to fill you guys in and keep you keep you updated as to what's going on. Yeah, and Tyler, you know, obviously uh, some folks are going to be familiar with you from your your time playing in Major League Baseball with the White Sox, with the Brewers. Uh, kind of take us through what led you to Korea for this phase of your professional career. How that all kind of go down? Yeah, so uh, this off season was my first year in free agency. So it was just kind of a play-by-ear situation. You know, you see who, uh, what teams are interested and, and what kind of things they're offering and just kind of weigh everything. And once Korea kind of came into the picture, it's a little more, more guaranteed of a situation. And that was the big kicker for me. Um, so, I mean, it wasn't an easy decision and uh, kind of had to think it through pretty well. But... At the end of the day, it was a, a guaranteed opportunity to play. And so that was kind of the biggest thing. So that's kind of why we went with it. Yeah, finding finding a little bit more of a permanent home positionally and everything there uh, in South Korea. What did you know of the KBO before really exploring it as an option to go play there? And what did you know about South Korea? Uh, to be honest, I didn't really know much at all. <laughs> I mean, one of my former teammates, Eric Thames. Um, I knew, I knew of, of the KBO and his team, the NC Dinos, and uh, just like his, his success that he had out there, along with a few really good things, really positive things that he said, uh, but like the, the teams and Korea itself or just, uh, baseball, what it was like, I didn't really know. And I knew they hit the ball really far and had – near equal distance of bat flip (laughs) (laughs) loud exciting Asian baseball but yeah I mean other than that I didn't really know like too much but it seemed like a seemed like a fun time he always had great things to say I was kind of that kind of added into the decision so having experienced what you experienced at the big league level and now embarking on this new endeavor in the KBO uh, how has it compared, the pitching that you faced here so far, uh, just the overall, obviously this is a very unique situation with nobody in the stands and whatnot, but just overall the, the comparison of those two brands of baseball? Yeah, it's uh, quite a bit different. You know, back, back home, everybody throws hard. And, you know, it's like just a lot of power pitching. There's not many Greg Maddox's left out there, you know. 
upper 90s fastballs with hard sliders to go with it. And then, you know, some, the starters, whatever their repertoire is, it's pretty much just power stuff. And over here, that's not really the case. Uh, we played some teams from Japan. They had some good arms. We didn't face any studs. That was during spring training. But there's definitely an increase in, in uh, velocity over there and a little bit, you know, a lot more like fork balls, like kind of split fingers. But these guys, man, it's their craft out here, like on another level. So even though the velocity isn't quite what it is in Japan and definitely not what it is back in the States, it is a masterful thing that, they're, that they try to, to accomplish. I mean, their types of pitches, their style of pitching, their delivery. Like the guy last night, for example, I don't know if he, I forgot exactly because everything's in kilometers over here, but his, his fastball wasn't, wasn't anything. It was like an upper end fastball, but it's not anything crazy. But the combo of the way he threw his pitches and the way he kind of lulled you to sleep with his windup in motion, but a super quick, perfectly clean delivery. That was the, the kid's a stud. It painted every single fastball in, which is much different than, than back home because you don't really throw in when you throw 97. You just got to throw it up and you'll throw it by them, or is what they're going for. You know, so they have to locate a lot more. And that kid did an incredible job. I thought it was, it sucked to just be getting, I got punched out twice, <laughs> but it was kind of cool watching it because it's, it's, you know, a guy working with a small frame and an excellent command and control over all of his stuff. So, yeah, the, the difference is, is just a lot more technical out here for sure. Well, it's been a lot of fun just watching live baseball and having scores to update. And I, uh, for one, have adopted the Samsung Lions as my favorite team, even though Jordan over there is a Bears fan, just warning you. But uh, a bit of a front runner over there on that side. But um, this is where Major League Baseball wants to be, hopefully sooner rather than later, in terms of just being able to hold games. And yes, it will be likely in empty facilities. What is it that the KBO is doing that you think Major League Baseball can take note of as they attempt to try to get it going over here in the United States? Yeah, tough question. Just, I think it's more than just the KBO. You know, you got to work with the country itself too. All, all of the logistics that go into everything. You know, like if if we weren't able to like it in the we wouldn't really take a cab right now. I mean, we can. We we can. We 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 will if we have to. There's nothing really wrong with it. But the the reason that it is okay is because of how clean everything is out here. Everybody cleans everything at all times. You know, you're always seeing stuff getting wiped down, sprayed, cleaned. Our apartment is perfectly clean. The elevators are constantly getting cleaned. The facilities around the apartments are constantly getting cleaned. So they do so much on a daily basis to make sure they limit the risk of anything like that. Everybody's masked and so all the stuff before you even get to the field is is done really well. So the first thing was that everybody got tested. Honestly, that's we weren't allowed to do anything until we got tested. So we got tested. Then we had to actually quarantine because there were some foreigners that got sick out here. There was a moment like right when we got here where, where people got sick or came up with confirmations. And so we had to go into a quarantine. Even though we got tested and we were clear and we 
should be good to go. They put us into a quarantine. We sat here for the duration of times we were here for two days before. So we had to do 12 days, even though we had been tested. And then we had to retest after we finished our quarantine to, I guess, confirm again. So there's a lot of steps that go, go into it to make sure that we were clean, just as, as myself as an individual and everybody else that needs to have that confirmation that you don't have to worry about us. And then we could get to the field. So there's a lot of stuff you have to put into play to make sure that everything is safe once you get to the field. Because ultimately, if you don't, if something comes up within any of us, we jeopardize the entire league. So all of that stuff has to happen in order for for it to continue on a daily basis. Yeah, it makes it makes a ton of sense. And for you, how, how much of an adjustment, if at all, has it been? You know, playing under those circumstances. Uh, you know, going to work where, you know, the umpires are wearing masks and gloves and, and just everything that comes with it and, and the fact that the, the stands are empty as you guys are out there playing these games now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of become just like a routine now since we've been doing this for a while. Um, but, I mean, you have the constant reminders. The umpires have masks on, trying to limit the contacts. You got to get your temperature check every morning. You wear your mask in and out once you leave the apartment. All the way to the field, all the way to your locker, basically, and then throw it on when you go to leave. But that's that's become, you know, just a, a regular part of it. So that's a routine. Once we're once we go through that, the rest is just baseball. That's what's nice about it. That there's been so much put into place that once you do get onto the field, it's not like, oh, sorry, Mister Umpire, I'm gonna have to keep my six feet from you. It's not like I mean, it's just completely baseball. It is different with without the fans. That's for sure. It's, that's your reminder of what's really going on. That's what. That's when it hits you. Like, hopefully, it, hopefully, it's not like that for very long because it's not that. It's kind of tough. Yeah, and, and especially when you talk to a lot of people about the KBO, that's almost the first thing that everybody brings up is the fans and and the the atmosphere that are created at these. Um, stadiums across the country but uh, culturally you mentioned kilometers earlier everything's you know metric system uh, what's that adjustment been like uh, how's the food been have you been able to experience much of that you know with, with all the the quarantine stuff going on we've been with these guys since January 31st that's when our spring training started so we're well we're well into all the cultural sides of things all the food I mean a lot of kimchi <laughs> a lot of kimchi a lot of noodles a lot of soup, um, but I'm used to it. Growing up in San Diego, yeah. and uh, where my grandma, where my grandparents grew up, and where my dad grew up, that little part of San Diego is covered in all the same things that you'll find out here. So I'm used to that side of it. But the the kilometer side was funny because I'd look up and see like one one forty nine. I have no clue what that means. <laughs> my translator's on it. I, I kept asking him, hey, 149. He's like, he goes back to his phone after a couple of times of that. He just made a full list. That way, anytime a pitch pops up and it's like 127, he just looks, oh, 86.3 or something like that, you know? So after a while, you start to just figure out the things you got to do to make things flow a little easier. That's great. The accompanying conversion chart. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's required. It's required reading. Gotta have it. Gotta That's have right. It. 
Um, by the way, the way you went through some of the menu items sounds delicious. We're from the islands, obviously. Uh, we yeah. both live on the island of Maui. And as it would be, uh, you have a connection to Maui. You have family from here. Your grandfather, from what we understand, attended St. Anthony's School, which is uh, right down the street, basically, from uh, where we're talking to you from. So talk yeah, so a little bit about your connection to the islands. Grandma was born on Lanai. Grandpa was there in Maui. And we got some family still on Oahu. Uh, but my grandparents left to to the mainland, and when they were younger, uh, Grandpa was in the military, and um, yeah, they've been together forever. They're the sweetest couple. Uh, like I said, you'd get a kick out of my grandpa. He'll talk your ear off. He's just just a super laid back, dark Filipino guy that loves just working on cars, turning a wrench, or reading the newspaper, and just. If you ever if you ever drive by their house, they're probably sitting in their lawn chairs in the driveway, <laughs> just hanging out. They're awesome. I wish I could get them back there, but my grand my grandma's nervous to fly. I'm still I work on it. I work on it every year trying to get them to go back. Hopefully, it happens. Did you visit the islands? I mean, did you guys ever come out as a family or or in other instances ever? No, I didn't go out until the first time I was ever out, and I've only been to Oahu. The mm. first time I, I went out was 2013, I think. 2014, maybe. Yeah, I've been back a few times. I try to make it back, but off-season is just a pretty busy time, even though you would think it, it, would, it wouldn't be as much. But for me, I mean, I've had, I've had a fair amount of injuries throughout my career. So a lot of time in the off-season is just spent trying to revamp and get with the right people to get, get things in place and – as much as I want to just go sit on the beach, you know, it's like kind of got to just got to stay on the grind, but be back soon. The, the schedule is busy. We, we understand that. Did you ever cross paths with, with any of the Hawaii guys in the big leagues when, when you were up there? Yeah, Colton actually was the one sliding into second when I busted my ankle a couple of years ago. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. He's so quick. I had to try and make a – I had to slide – I had to try and like – stick the foot to the bag real quick and when I did I rolled my ankle as bad as I could I saw him after the game he said he thought a shotgun went off I didn't even know because it, it hurt so bad but yeah Colton and played against Kirby Yates in the minors never never ran across him once once to the big leagues but and then Steven Souza same in the minors big leagues also um and then I mean uh Benny <laughs> Benny Agbani came by with this whole travel team a couple of years ago in spring training because our bench coach of the White Sox, Joe McEwing, they played together. So Benny showed up with just all the little kids just running around going crazy. It was so funny because everybody was overwhelmed. They're, they're like, man, Benny's got all these little Hawaiian kids running around. There's like no rules with these kids. Like, I mean, pretty much. They'll be fine, though. They're probably better than us, too, so – like just let them do their thing if they want to shag them you know let them shag. <laughs> they're everywhere they, awesome. the, his travel kids must have must have seen you and thought you were you were from hawaii right yeah it was a that was a fun little little day there i mean i almost didn't want to practice it was just so fun talking story with the kids and <laughs> and like 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 absorbing their energy and everything so that was a that was a fun day for sure we also have some background information because we have a little birdie who uh, has fed us a ton of information here uh, on you. And, and an interesting fact here, very non-baseball fact, 
you have an uncle Doug who was just named to the skateboarding Hall of Fame. Like he's one of the OGs. Well, that's yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Doug Pineapple Saladino. That's his nickname, and that's his logo. <laughs> he's got some cool boards too. He's an old school pool shredder. You'll see. You'll see him as as from a little kid all the way up to nowadays he's still he's still in the pool like i mean it seems like every day he does a lot building skate parks he's yeah he's he's um well mixed into the community still to this day he's like i I would say he's like continuing as an ambassador to make sure skateboarding stays alive and shredding with all his old friends and all that stuff he's still going it's fun to watch well, I mean, you're a Southern California guy. So were you into skateboarding? Were you into surfing? How did you decide, all right, baseball is the thing that I'm going to focus my attention and efforts on? Yeah, so my dad's probably stoked that it turned out the way it, it did because <laughs> because my uncle Doug would take me skating or surfing every time. Like, we went to skate parks, I feel like, as much as I played baseball. And then, you know, it took me surfing for the first time. And um, I was like locked in as a kid on that i love skating but my dad also we were always playing baseball every weekend we were finding finding a game my dad was good about making connections with other you know like other dads and stuff that had teams so if they're you know he would just check in with them hey you guys want to play a couple games this weekend if there was no tournament going on or anything like that and then if there's good tournaments most of the good tournaments were in la so we'd drive up pretty much I feel like it was every weekend we drove up to LA just because the better baseball was up there. Yeah, we stayed busy doing both. And then, I mean, I'm sure my dad's glad that I chose baseball over it. But it wasn't a hard decision. You, do, you, you have to, at some point, you got to send a little more and more and more when you're skating and surfing. And you go a little too far, busting my ankle one time. And it was an easy decision not to keep doing that. So it worked out. Could you still do some stuff on a board if you got on it right now? Yeah, I, I, I use the skateboard as my transportation most of the time when I was in Chicago. There you go. Tune from the truck. That's how I'd, how I'd uh, get. It's a long walk and you got to go all the way through the tunnel. <laughs> These are just skate. I did it in Milwaukee, too. I'm, th- I'm glad they didn't shut me down on that because it's a long walk if you don't have your board. <laughs> that is great stuff. Uh, Tyler, you, you seem like a guy who very much enjoys what has come your way. Um, you know, at, at this point in your career, as you mentioned, a little more stability in Korea. Uh, just how do you feel about uh, the way things have unfolded and, and this current opportunity uh, to, to keep things going in the KBO? Yeah, there's so many sides to that that, that are just awesome for, for more than just me, for everybody. The KBO, everybody within, everybody within the Lions staff and players are so excited that, that the KBO is being broadcast on ESPN. I mean, that's like a... An, an enormous moment for them and, and a like sense of we made it kind of thing. And so, so it's really cool to see how much excitement it brings them. And then everybody that's back home or, or wherever they're watching it from just to be having live sports right now is doing so much for so many people that that side of it is, is equally special. And then, being out there on the field and playing uh, kind of just puts it full circle and realize how lucky we are to be out there. So, I mean, even though we do just get, to, it's the same game of baseball, there's a lot more meaning behind every time we step on the field right now. And I'm counting my blessings, man, really lucky to be in this situation. So 
for, for everything that led me to here. I'm, that's why I say I'm trying to do my best to, to do the stuff with you guys and, and fill people in and whatever, whatever I can do for everybody. That's what I'm trying to do right now. Yeah, I think it, it comes across just, just talking story with you. Um, that enthusiasm. What are the, the long-term goals uh, for you going forward? I mean, have you put much thought toward that? I know you've just started this endeavor um, over there in Korea, but have you put any thought to several years down the road what, where you want to be? Uh, I mean, the, <laughs> the only thing I have in mind is uh, our wedding with, with my fiance, Hannah. She's back home. We were supposed to get married in November, like mid-November. And uh, I don't know how it's going to go right now. I'm, I'm a little nervous. We're both nervous. We're trying to figure out what's going to happen because we're supposed to, we're supposed to finish. I don't even know. Honestly, I forgot what they were saying about how the season's going to go. We're playing our full season. We got 144 mm-hmm. games and we missed like five and a half weeks or something like that. So, and that's just the regular season. And then the way they do it in the KBO is you, there's this like period of time where they make up any rain outs or whatever else got missed so then there's this period where it could be like two weeks or so and then they start the playoffs so I can't even look too far forward man I'm just (laughs) (laughs) taking it one day at a time and right now it's it's extremely busy with with everything that's going on with the broadcasting and all that so as much as I would love to try and put together some some goals or whatnot I got to I got a lot on my plate right now, so I'm doing what Understandable. I got. Yeah. All right, you've, you've played, you've experienced big league baseball. You hit a grand slam on consecutive days in the bigs, which is a pretty incredible accomplishment. But be honest, were you nervous in that first televised KBO at bat, knowing that the United States across the, the entire nation, baseball fans were watching that broadcast? Yeah, I was definitely nervous. <laughs> yeah, I had I had full butterflies. I think I drank – I only had one Red Bull, but it felt like I drank four. <laughs> and then I had this whirlwind of emotions going on, too, because it was surreal. And on top of that, there's no fans. I'm wondering why I feel like this. <laughs> there was a lot going on. I was, I was uh, doing my best to stay in the moment and – got a hit too so it's kind of that's right yeah yeah Yeah, i mean that must have felt like you must have had a a big uh sigh of relief after that huge (laughs) saw saw the ball go through and was like man that worked out (laughs) (laughs) well um it it is really great to to be able to enjoy some live baseball and uh, to see you in action for my samsung lions uh it's uh, definitely a thrill and and also a thrill (laughs) to just be able to talk story with you man yeah for sure likewise it was good to catch up with you guys, and, and um, hopefully we can get together one time. Maybe this offseason we can get to Maui or something. If it, if it all works out, that'd be great. No, that's a plan right there. Hey, take care, Tyler. We appreciate it, man. Aloha. All right, you too, guys. Take care. Hey, for our listeners on Maui, we are holding out hope that the 18th season of the Maui Flag Football League will take place as scheduled this summer. The MFFL is a youth flag football league for boys and girls ranging in age from 3 to 18, broken up into divisions of seven different age groups representing five districts, Upcountry, Wailuku, Kahului, Kihei, and Lahaina. The goal of the MFFL is to teach the game of football without the worry of violent contact, concussions, or weight cutting. It's all about having fun, being active, and making new friends while reinforcing important values like teamwork, perseverance, and respect for your fellow players and coaches. 
For more information on the Maui Flag Football League, please call 808-280-7513 or email mauiflagfootball at gmail.com and get signed up. All right, back to the show. All right, post-game time. Best and worst, Jordan. Let's start with our worst. What's your worst? Yeah, my worst. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but Brett Favre, uh, via an audit of the Mississippi state government, it was revealed that Favre Enterprises, and thus Brett Favre, uh, received two different payments, $500,000 payment December 2017 and a $600,000 payment in June 2018 for speaking engagements uh, at the Mississippi Community Education Center. The problem was, he never went. Th- th- those didn't happen. So somewhere out there, Brett Favre got paid $1.1 million uh, to not show up for speaking engagements. And this is like a whole deal. Like this is a $94 million mi- mismanagement of some sorts. Like this is a, it was an audit obtained by the Washington. It's a much bigger deal than just Brett Favre maybe getting payments for some of this. But uh, not a good luck for my guy Brett after this. Uh, you know, I, apparently he's not facing criminal charges. There's something in there, which – you know, maybe they knew when they were doing it, but, uh, you know, if you can pay me north of a million dollars to go not speak at something, I don't, I don't know where you sign up for that, but I'm, yeah. I'd, I'd be in. Should we have expected this from a guy who basically put the fix in for Michael Strahan to set the NFL sack record? <laughs> like, come on, he just gave it to him. Uh, we should have expected this kind of behavior post-football from Brett Favre. No, that is a, a disturbing story to a certain degree. All right, my worst is uh, Twitter, which can be the worst thing ever at times. Uh, And today, I guess uh, the Twitterverse was kind of bored collectively because they came up with this survey, and it was Black MJ versus White MJ. MJ being the abbreviation for Michael Jackson. And so basically, they were going Black Michael Jackson versus White Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson up and through the Thriller album, and then Michael Jackson from the Bad album and on. Uh, It is just wrong. Um, it is in poor taste. You're talking about the skin color of the same human being. Uh, I guess they were presenting it like it's, you know, it's Kobe when he wore number eight versus Kobe when he wore number 24. Uh, but it's different when you're talking about someone's skin color. So it upset me. Uh, it disturbed me. And I got to go with Black MJ on this one because, I mean, Black MJ did, I mean, he's the one that came up with Billie Jean. And that's going to be a hit 100 years from now. Uh, and the Off the Wall album. I mean, come on, man. And the Jackson 5 era? It's got to be Black MJ. Um, <laughs> this is good. I, the, the, that sounds like a Twitter thread that I would spend a lot of time scrolling through, but I'd be very careful not to like anything or not to retweet anything <laughs> because I don't want to be attached to anything when it comes to that thread. But I'm... I'm probably going to spend some time scrolling through it and listen to some arguments, see what we're talking about. Um, I agree because you got to throw the Jackson five on that part of the resume. And I think that that outweighs it. I mean, white MJ did have the way you make me feel and did have man in the mirror. So, you know, maybe it's not as much a um, blowout victory, but it's gotta be black MJ. There you go. Breaking it down and succumbing to the worst of Twitter. All right. Our best. What's yours, Jordan? Yeah. Have you seen, speaking of Twitter and social media and everything, and this was, this was on all the sports shows and everything. Have you seen the video clips of Mike Dyson, like shadow boxing and training and how ripped this guy is and how fast his hands are? My God, he is still scary at what, 53 years old or something like that? Like, he's going to fight again, right? Like, what else is he doing? Did he just, like, figure out he needed to get back in shape? 
there are some of those pictures of him like two years ago at like a basketball game and him now with the sweat drenched shirt that just shows six pack again and pecs that are ready to burst through the threading of that shirt and then you saw the video of him of him putting together combinations and it's like oh my god he's 53 years old put him in a ring with Tyson Fury I'm in (laughs) all right I'm gonna interrupt you right there uh, because just to prove that we don't script this podcast I also chose the Mike Tyson possible (laughs) comeback as my best the recent video of him hitting the pads he was training with famed MMA trainer Rafael Cordero and yeah, his speed, his pop, still absolutely formidable. And remember, Evander Holyfield recently announced that he is looking to make a comeback. I am here for a Mike Tyson return to the ring. Let's do it. All right, that's it. Uh, thanks once again to Tyler Saladino for jumping on with us. Again, a reminder, you can hit us up on Twitter, at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helley, or at TalkSports808. Good fun. We'll be doing it again in a few days, Jordan. Can't wait. I'm going to go hit the heavy bag. Get ready. <laughs> <laughs>